restoration and flourishing. And when Pastor asked me to share what came to my heart was that I should talk about restoration unto sonship. It's important to know that you are restored. For example, if you you lost something, then you have, you find it back, or you lost some money before, and now that you're born again, God will bless you. But that cannot be compared to the restoration of our sonship status with the Father. Amen. The word restored means that there was something before that you had, and you lost it, and that that made it necessary for there to be a restoration. Amen. So you can no restore something you never had before. You can only restore something that you had before, but you lost it for some reason. Amen. So today we're going to talk about restoration unto sonship. I want us to read First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And I would like to dwell on this verse almost the whole of uh, the talk today. First Timothy, if you can project it, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Yeah. And the Bible says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached on unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amen. So I would like to dwell on some phrases here. And I would like to dwell on God was manifest in the flesh. And he was justified in the spirit. He was preached on unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. Amen. So originally man had a sonship relationship with the father. In the garden of Eden when God created man, he said in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Praise God. So, and in another verse, he said, and the Bible said, God breathed. God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into him and man became a living soul. So what that means is that what God had in him was what he transferred into the man that he had formed. So the flesh, which is what he formed from the ground, from the dust of the ground, was not the man. But it was the breath of life that God breathed into him that made him to become man. Okay, The flesh was just the house in which the son of God would live. So Adam was literally a son of God because what God carried was what he transferred into Adam. So we were literally the children of God in the garden of Eden. Praise God. So that is what we had from the beginning. We had the status of sonship. We had the status, status of being a family together with God. So we could... Actually, the Bible said God would come down in the cool of the evening and he would fellowship with Adam. He would have a relationship with Adam and he could, you know, there was no secret between them. They, they really fellowship like a family should fellowship. Praise God. So it was, it was like that in the garden before sin came. So, but what did that fellowship afforded, afforded us? It afforded us 
afforded us fellowship, access, and provisions. Praise God. It avoided us fellowship, access, and provision. I want us to read uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis 2, verse 18. 2, verse 8, rather, not 18. Verse 8. The, listen to what the Bible says. And the Bible says, And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man who he had formed. Verse 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge and good. Can you just go to verse 12? And the gold of that land is good. There is a delium and the onyx stone. Now the Bible said there are three things that, that man always desired. Oh, there are three things that pleases man. That is the loss of the, the loss of the flesh, the the loss of the eyes and the pride of life. So man always looks for these three things. What will satisfy his flesh? What will satisfy his eyes and what can give him some pride? In the place where we read, in the garden of God provided all these things for man. The Bible said God made trees to grow out of the ground that was first pleasant to the eyes and then good for food. So it met the sight and it met the flesh. It was satisfied. And the Bible said in verse 12 that the gold of that land was so good. Praise God. And so these things were... We are given unto us because we had a sonship status with the Father. So there was nothing that actually man needed that he didn't have in the Garden of Eden. Praise God. There was nothing that he didn't have until sin came. Praise God. And there's something that happened when sin came. In Genesis 1, the Bible said God created man in his own image and likeness. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, And Adam gave birth to a son and called his name Seth. But that son was born in the image and likeness of Adam. No more in the image and likeness of God. After the fall, praise God. So Seth, the Bible says, And Adam gave birth to a son in his own image and likeness. So in the beginning, God said, In the image and likeness of God. But after man fell, Adam fell, there was change that now there was no longer a man given birth in the image and likeness of God, but in the image and likeness of the sinful nature of Adam. Praise God. And towards the end of chapter 3, I think, uh, chapter 4, verse 26, the Bible says, And then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. Man had not prayed before. Prayer came as a result of a lost status of sonship with the Father. When Adam was created, there was no need for him to pray. He had a perfect relationship with the Father. He had everything he would ever need. He had the fellowship. He had the access. He had provisions. He had everything. But when he lost these things in chapter 4, the Bible says, Then, after God had driven him out of the garden, the Bible says, Then began... Something can only begin if it had never been happening before. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. That is when we lost it. So it was no longer like before that we could just w walk into the throne room and just gist with the Father, have 
un, 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 unrestricted access with the Father, but now we were like, God, please do this for us. God, please do this for us. That was the symptom that man had fallen, that man had fallen from the status of sonship. Praise God. And when he lost this, actually God had a plan immediately. Now, some of us think that the plan of salvation started 2,000 years ago. No, actually the plan of salvation started about 6,000 years ago, immediately when man fell. Praise God. So immediately when man fell, the plan for his restoration, the plan for him to come back to God began immediately. God... After God saw everything had happened, he said, okay, he called the cherubim. He said, drive. That was the first step. And that was a sign of love. He said, drive the man out of the garden. He said, drive Adam out of the garden. Now we might think that God was punishing Adam, but no, that was an act of love. So people that say, because man made a mistake, so God drove him out of this beautiful garden and he was punishing man. No, God was actually loving the man. And that was how his plan of salvation started. The Bible says, if we leave this man in this garden, he already knows good and evil. If he is from the tree of life again, then he will remain forever with this nature. He, he, he can no longer be redeemed. If he had taken the fruit of knowledge of good and evil and the, the, the other fruit, the good fruit, the fruit of life, then he would have remained forever alive without the possibility to be redeemed. And so God said, no, this cannot be allowed to happen. I must first drive him so that I prevent this from happening. So that at least he still has a chance to be redeemed. Praise God. Because if God had eaten that, he would have become, if man had eaten that, he would have become like the devil. Forever having the knowledge of good and evil and forever unredeemable. Praise God. And so God said, no, just, just go out first. You may not understand what I'm doing now, but it is for your own good. Get out of the garden. Praise God. And the Bible said he drove the man and the, his wife out of the garden and he placed cherubims with sword that was protecting the garden so that man can no longer come in. But immediately God set an objective. God set an objective and he said, he told the devil, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Her seed will bruise your head. That was a prophecy that God gave immediately. He said, the son of the woman will come. The son of the woman will come and he will bruise your head. That's in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So God had to come in the flesh. And he told the devil immediately there, he said, the son of the woman will come in flesh. And when he comes, he will bruise your head. Praise God. So that was actually when the plan of salvation started for man. And so God had to come in the flesh. That's why we read in the book of First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it said, God manifested in the flesh. Praise God. God manifested in the flesh. So why was it important that God manifested in the flesh? Why couldn't he just appear? You know, like an angel from God. And she said, I have all power. I can deliver man from the jaws of Satan. I can do whatever I want. But he decided to come in the form of a flesh. Praise God. It's first of all important that he, he, he is able to identify with us. Praise God. 
he came and in the flesh so that he can identify with us. Because, first of all, it was not an angel that sinned in the Garden of Eden, so God could not send an angel. So it was man that sinned, so God had to send a man in flesh and blood like we are, so that the, the, the substitution can be impartial. Praise God. God is a just God. And so when he said, if you eat this fruit, you shall die, that price must be paid no matter what. The price of death must be paid in full, not partial. So he, he, and he cannot send an angel to come and die in the place of man because these two are not equal. So that substitution had to be perfect. So I had to send Jesus Christ in the form of man. And it might shock a lot of people to realize that when Jesus Christ was here on earth, he was actually just man like you and me. He was simply just man. Because that was what was necessary for the substitution to be perfect. For there to be justice, it had to be like that, that Jesus Christ had to come as a man. Amen. What we understand is that Jesus Christ, he was, he was God, but he needed to take up the nature of man. And that was now equivalent to original man God made in the Garden of Eden. Praise God. Because God formed Adam as a natural man and he breathed into him the breath of life. And that was equivalent to God himself. And so when Jesus Christ came with God as, as God, he now took on the nature of man. And the combination of these two was then equivalent to the man that God created in the Garden of Eden. And this man is able to substitute for the, for, for the death penalty that man had hanging on his head. Praise God. But when the devil knew this, the devil knew this plan that eventually God was going to send a man and this man will redeem the whole humanity and will, will, he will lose his authority over man. And the devil didn't take this line on the ground. Praise God. The devil fought all the way. He fought all the way to make sure that this didn't happen. We're going to read a, a scripture. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 from verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. Verse 2. That the son of God saw the daughters of the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. Let's keep going. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. Verse four. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him as his heart. Verse 7. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. 
verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, verse 9. We'll read until verse 12. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God, verse 10. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh, not this point, for all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. Verse 11. Verse 11. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Now, this was, this is, this is an important scripture that mostly is overlooked. Now, the plan of the devil was actually to corrupt the means through which a, a pure man can come. So, the Bible says the fallen angels, what they were doing, they were actually on assignment to dilute the purity of the man that God had created. So that even if there's going to be uh, a savior, he won't have the pure nature that is required to substitute for man's death, to substitute for Adam. And so he's, he, he called his fallen angels and they, they started taking in the daughters of men and they were already corrupting the human race. They were already corrupting the human. Eventually, it was no longer uh, I'm a geneticist. It's like a crossbred now between, between humans and angels and fallen angels. And that, that could not substitute for man. So the devil was already fighting the means through which a pure man can come and be the redemption that man so desperately needed. Praise God. And the Bible said, but Noah was a righteous man. Now, if you look deeper, the righteousness was not just because he did things right. It was not just because he was obedient to God. Actually, the family of Noah was the family that was not yet corrupted by the fallen angels. The family of Noah was righteous, yes, in deeds and everything, but much more than that, the, the fallen angels had not yet had access to the family of Noah. He was against all these things that were happening during his time. And God said, okay, what I will do to be able to save my plan. I'm going to take this pure family that remains. I'm going to destroy the rest and I will start again with this family. If God had stayed maybe for another 100 years or 200 years, probably even the family of Noah would have been corrupt and there was no means through which a pure savior, a pure human being like Adam was in the Garden of Eden could come and be the substitution for man. Praise God. So we Sometimes we don't realize, but there were a lot of battles that took place even before the battle of Jesus Christ. The devil fought all the way to make sure that our redemption never happens. That he remains the in charge. He remains the one in control of our lives. Praise God. And when God destroyed the earth completely and saved only the family of Noah. Now the devil took comfort in the fact that, okay, since the Bible said Adam gave birth to Seth and Seth was in his own image and likeness, so whoever was coming actually would already carry the nature of sin. Yeah? So if Jesus Christ was born by a man, he was born by any, any, any man on earth, then that nature of sin is by inheritance. We are seen as... Uh, People are born sinners by inheritance because the sin nature is in man and is, is inherited from generation to generation. So the devil took comfort in that fact that, okay, you know, I don't need to fight anymore because in any way, 
there was no way that a man can give birth to a pure pure human being that has no uh, no sin that has not the nature of sin that was in Adam praise God and the bible said and God also there overcame the devil by a, by a great plan the bible said uh, Joseph had had no uh, uh, relations with with Mary when she gave birth to Jesus Christ the bible said uh, can we read that please in the book of um Luke chapter 1 verse 35 Luke chapter 1 verse 35 And the angel ans answered and said unto her the holy ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the most high shall overshadow thee therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. In verse 39, Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Actually, Jesus Christ was born of the word. Praise God. He said, Be it unto me according to thy word. Immediately she said that Mary conceived. She didn't really meet with a man. Praise God. So that way also God outsmarted the devil to make sure that Jesus Christ would be born without sin. He would be born without the nature of sin that Adam had. Praise God. And some might argue that, okay, what of Mary? She's also a human being. But uh, I don't know how many know that the, the, the blood of a child never mixes with the blood of the mother in the womb. Praise God. So that child was, uh, Mary was actually just the house in which Jesus Christ grew and he was born. And so God succeeded in bringing a savior that was qualified, that was qualified to pay for our sins, that was qualified to be the redeemer for us, that was qualified to be the medium through which we can be restored back to the status we had in the Garden of Eden, back to the status of sonship. Amen. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, God was manifest in the flesh, and then he was justified in the spirit amen he was justified in the spirit so if if god if jesus christ was born god succeeded to bring jesus christ without sin so what why was there a need for jesus christ to be justified again praise god uh, a justification could mean that somebody was condemned before or was a sinner before and now he needed justification but jesus christ was born without sin so it's when the word justification here doesn't actually mean that he was justified from sin can we read some scriptures uh second corinthians 5 21 second corinthians 5 verse 21 for he had made him to be seen for us who knew no sin so here we know that Jesus Christ was not being justified because he was a sinner. The Bible says he knew no sin. We can also see this in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Hebrews 4 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in always tempted like as we are, yet he was without sin also first peter 2 verse 22 i want us to understand this first peter 
verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So when the Bible says he was justified by the Spirit, it was not necessarily uh, that he was justified of sin or that he was condemned before and he is now justified of sin. But that word actually means vindication. In other translations, actually, it says he was vindicated by the Spirit. Praise God. Now, what? just imagine yourself in a court of law and somebody is accused of something. Praise God. Somebody is accused of something. Maybe he's accused of stealing. He's accused of murder or whatever. The, because he is accused doesn't necessarily mean that he committed the crime. Praise God. So there has to be a process of vindication. So at the end, it could be that the evidence is against him and then he's truly condemned. It could also be at the end that the evidences are there that he didn't do it and then he is vindicated. So Jesus Christ, yes, he was condemned by his enemies, including us. Praise God. He was condemned, including us. The Bible said we were there. People were there. The people he was dying for, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They said, what did he do? He said, ah, he's God. They, they started, you know, accusing him of so many crimes. And so he had to go through trial. Jesus Christ had to go through trial. And his trial was actually in the grave. Okay, he said that he is God and that he... He can, rise, he can rise from the dead. He said, okay, let's prove this. And they killed him. So the test was, if he rises from the grave, then he's vindicated. Then he's true. Then he's justified. But if he didn't rise, then we know that he's a liar and he as guilty as charged. So when the Bible says he's justified by the Spirit, he's actually vindicated by the Spirit by rising from the death. Praise God. So Jesus Christ was vindicated by rising from the dead. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if the same spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he shall also quicken your mortal bodies. So when the Bible says he was justified by the spirit, that spirit was that spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and it became his justification. Praise God. So it became his vindication that he's actually the Messiah. It became his vindication that he was qualified to be a substitute for our sins. And that is good news. Praise God. Not only did he say that he would save us, but he proved that he, he could save us by rising from the death. Praise God. Now my time is running out, but the Bible says he was preached unto the Gentiles. Praise God. He was preached unto the Gentiles, and this should excite you and me. Anyone that is not a Jew should be excited about this scripture. He was preached on unto the Gentiles. The Bible said he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And as a result, he said anyone now who receives him, he has the power to become the sons of God. Jesus Christ gave a parable. And he said there was a great man who had this party. And so he sent invitation letters to all the big, big men in the society. He said, come, come for my ceremony. Come for my occasion. And this one would say, you know, I just married a new wife. I cannot go. This one say, I, I just have a new vineyard. I cannot leave my vineyard. And they had all kinds of excuses. And the master of the ceremony was angry. And he said, he called his son. He said, go into the streets. 
He said the beggars, those that are on the street, he said go and invite them in so that they could come and partake of this joy of the Lord. Praise God. So this is what we call the, the grace of God, the dispensation of grace. Paul talked about us as actually wild branches that were grafted into the olive. Praise God. So the Jews, Jesus Christ came purposely for the Jews and not because God is partial. Praise God. So, you know, when you read the Bible, you would, you would, you would be, you'd be right to think that God was actually partial with the Jews. Why was he just only concerned about the Jews, the Jews, the Jews? But God was not partial. He was only fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Praise God. God was only fulfilling his promise to Abraham, and he was lifting up Abraham like this. He said, this is the generation of a man that trusts me. If any man, if there was another man that was like Abraham, God would also be interested in their affairs just the way he was interested in the affairs of the children of Abraham. Praise God. So it was nothing that like God just randomly, okay, Jews, Nigerians, okay, let me pick Jews. No, he was really interested in a man that truly serves him. Abraham obeyed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And he, he said, because of that, your generation shall be blessed. So the Israelites became special to God as a result of the obedience of Abraham. Praise God. And so he, the plan was actually for them. But because also God saw that there was need for also the other Gentiles, me and you, to partake of this salvation, he opened up the door. And he said, come. He's like an elder brother that's at the train station or at the bus. He's opening the door. He said, you run in, run in before the plan of salvation will now be exclusively for the Jews. If you read the book of Daniel, you understand that actually the seven years of tribulation was actually specifically for the Jews. The remaining years that's left for God to complete all his plan on earth. But Jesus Christ I came and stood in the gap and held these seven years. And he said, no, it cannot be complete until all, all these other people come in so that they can also be partakers of this great salvation. Praise God. And the Bible says he was believed on in the world. So it actually boils down to this. It's just takes, it takes just belief to be restored unto sonship. Now all these stories, it was actually to give you uh, an appreciation of what took place for you to become who you are today. But your responsibility, the Bible said he was believed on in the world. He said, just believe. That is actually all, all it takes for you to be restored. So maybe you were expecting me to tell you this is how you can be restored. He said, no, just simply believe. John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So by believing in Jesus Christ, by believing on the work he has done for us, we have actually been restored unto sonship. And how have we, what did we gain? We have gained the things we have lost in the garden. So we have gained access. We have gained fellowship. We have gained abundance. The Bible says we can now come boldly before the throne of grace and find mercy, obtain mercy and find grace for help in times of need. Praise God. We have also fellowship. The Bible says in Colossians, he said, Christ in you. The hope of glory. So you have fellowship, unfed, unrestricted fellowship with the Father. In, first, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, Blessed be God, 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all, not some, not many, not most. He said he blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So actually, whatever Adam lost through disobedience, we have gained through the obedience of Jesus Christ. Praise God. So we have been fully restored, not partially. Whatever you think that was in the Garden of Eden that you think you are missing, you're actually not missing. What you're missing is understanding. What you're missing is knowledge of the fact that you have been completely restored onto the status that Adam had in the Garden of Eden. Praise God. Can we just be on our feet and we just take a moment of prayer? I want you to thank God for restoration. I don't know how you would do it. Just thank him for restoring you. For restoring you back. For restoring you back. You lost, you lost your life. You lost everything. But Jesus came and gave you everything back. Father, I thank you. And he said he doesn't require anything but just believe. Just believe. He said, for as many as believe in him, or as many as received him, he has now restored them, given them the right to become the sons of God. If you believe here, then you have been restored completely as a son. Not as a servant, but as a son. Father, we thank you. We thank you for restoration. And most importantly, he says, just believe. So if you are here and you feel you have not yet been restored, there is still a chance for you. There is still an opportunity for you. It doesn't take 50,000 euros. It doesn't even take any physical thing. He says, just believe. Just believe. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you feel here you have not yet been restored, or, or you lack that fellowship, you lack that relationship with the Father, there's still a chance for you. The door is not closed. Tomorrow it might be too late. The next hour might be too late. But there's a chance for you now to say, Father, I thank you that you have given me the opportunity to be restored. You're going to say, Father, I thank you. Now I realize that I don't have to live in sin anymore. That I don't have to live in death anymore. That I can be who you created me to be. If you are like that in this place, you can just say a simple prayer and say, Father, thank you that you came and you died for me. I thank you that you have given me a chance to be saved. I declare you now, Lord and Savior of my life. Be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I want to be your son from now on till eternity. Can you say that simple prayer? Can you say that simple prayer and say, Father, I'm coming back. Like the prodigal son, can you say, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. And thank you that all it takes is just faith. All it takes is just belief. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. We thank you for restoration. We give you praise. We adore your name. We thank you for loving us. Loving us so much to die. The Bible says, Scarcely can a man lay down his life for a friend. But you lay down your life for your enemies. People that were cursing you. So that 
we could be friends again so that we could be sons we could be family we thank you father glory to your name in jesus mighty name we have prayed amen praise god put your hands